Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that can transform hearts. Included in this book are highlights and notes in the margin. This is the Notable Podcast, and these are the discussions of twin pastors who share their underlining and highlighting with you. This is Season 7, Life Reframed, a podcast on Ecclesiastes. Just a couple things about uh, the Notable Podcast. This is the Notable Podcast. This is Season 7. I can't believe it. It's been... We've done seven books of the Bible already, and the Notable Podcast, why did we name it that? Just a quick rundown. It is the Notable Podcast, not because it's especially notable. Um, we just maybe want it's to be not notable at that. all. <laughs> We're just doing the best we can. <laughs> exactly. But the, really, the idea behind the title and what we're hoping to do together in this study and in this podcast, whether you're taking it in live or um, whether you're going to listen to this delayed is we want to show you what's in the margins of our Bibles and what's notable in our hearts. So the whole idea with the notable podcast is that it's like one of those old Bibles that you open up and maybe your grandpa or your grandma read it and she highlighted and underlined and, and took notes and now she's with the Lord and you're like, wow, um, that's the whole idea behind, behind notable. And so really the best way you, you, you correct me, Jonathan, if you want to, but really the best way to take this in is with an open Bible and, and with an open heart. Um, this is a notable podcast. And, um, up till now we've only done it on audio we well that that's a, that was a straight up lie actually we did it a couple times on facebook didn't we <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> at least i called it out right away yeah. <laughs> um don't don't start laughing too hard jonathan we got to hold this together you got to got twins going here yeah yeah we this is the first time on youtube and hence the technical difficulties. But we're going to get this right. This is the first YouTube live I've ever done. So let's see. Let's see how it comes out. And we're hoping, let's see if this works, but we're hoping that people, you're going to be able to, to chat in, and we hope that you do on YouTube live. And you can chat in there for questions. You can make comments. You can put in there, amen. Um, whatever is good, right, noble, whatever encourages, whatever you need to know, you know, that's what that chat's for. And sometimes, sometimes when we're working on something together on one of these Wednesday nights, we'll, we'll break maybe halfway through. Um, but I think typically, and Jonathan, correct me if I'm wrong, I think typically we're going to do a longer section of the Bible. And then we're going to pause and look at the questions in the chats and just kind of reflect with people. And I think together, you know, we're going to, this is going to be a wonderful thing that, that um, it'll just be encouraging for, for all of us. So, so we, we kind of consider this long form podcasting. Maybe you're familiar with that where it's a relaxed setting. I've got a glass of water sitting here. 
I don't know what you're doing, Jonathan, over there in South Carolina. But this is just two people and a bunch of people on chat coming together to to think about God's word. Did I get that wrong, Jonathan? This is a notable podcast. You can hopefully you're writing in your Bibles. What what else do you want to say? Yeah, and you know, my prayer is is uh I think YouTube will be a great just two quick comments. One is I think YouTube will be a nice um media format because we'll be able to take the scriptures that you know hopefully if we can get our text right we can take the scriptures and actually put it up on the screen so that you can meditate on the words that we're reflecting on as we go through it and and also just i just want to encourage people this, this enjoy just um marinating in this in this word um i'm ready to get into it though timothy like i'm I'm chomping at the bit here. We want to, I want to get into it. Yeah. So, all right. So tonight, tonight, like you said, next time I'm hoping to, you know, sure foundation, if you're out there, you know, me, I like to put it up on the screen and underline and write. I mean, we're going to be noting notable podcasts. We're going to note things. We're going to be working with the biblical text, but tonight, this is really just a time to introduce the book of Ecclesiastes. So we're, if you have your Bibles open, you're going to probably be taking notes mostly on that introduction page, you know, like yeah. here's some thoughts that, that I want to be thinking about as I read through this book from really from start to finish. Um, in just a second, I'm going to ask you, Jonathan, why the book of Ecclesiastes? I'm going to give, I'm going to give a couple of flipping answers and then I'll give you the real reason why or we're gonna, we're actually going to give several reasons why we want to do this book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, right, right, right. But let me give a couple of flippant ones. Um, one is because the last season was a New Testament book. We did First Thessalonians, so we're back in the Old Testament <laughs> this time, Ecclesiastes. But another reason is just to be totally transparent: is Jonathan and I got asked to write a devotional book on the poetic literature of the bible so this is this is going to go hand in hand with that and a book is going to come out um probably it that's probably more than a year out and while we're working on it you know we're preaching through this at, at our churches and we're also going to be pushing out this podcast but this is where the real meat this is where the real depth is going to take place right here in in this podcast so this is my not those were the flippant answers for why we're doing this book but now i want to give you the, the the spiritual ones the the meaty ones so why why ecclesiastes this is the way i picture it and i was recently reading an article by um dr david schmidt and he, in the article he talked about how one of the things that we want to do in the church is help people to reframe their lives so he, he imagined a scenario where, what if our life, and he asked this question, it's kind of what if question. What, a, what if in our lives, we set it to melodramatic music where, and, and the music, you know, like Beethoven or Mozart or one of those guys, it ebbs and flows, it gets sad and, and it climaxes and everything else. Um, and there's refrains and, and repeats and everything else. What if our life was like that 
um, there, on, on the one hand, we might put the high music at certain points of our life. But the book of Ecclesiastes, and this is where we're talking about reframing it, and this, I'm trying to get at camera angles and music and cinema and all this stuff. Hopefully we're doing that. What, what, the, what Solomon wants to do is he wants us to put that melodramatic music, to put those climactic moments in the oddest places. <laughs> And in the most mundane and ordinary places. This is why, like, the whole, this is going to be the theme of our, of our podcast as we go through this, that what, what we're going to do together is we're going to help our, we, we want to reframe our lives. You want to build on what I'm saying? This making sense yeah. to you? Yeah, it's, it's like, to use your cinema imagery, it's kind of like, you get home after work, it's like what, 6, 6.30 p.m. You've had a long day, but all of a sudden the soundtrack pops on as you get out of your car and it's this romantic music and you walk inside and there's your wife and you're just blown away by her, by her beauty. It's, that's, that's life reframed. But I, um, we're, we, I'm saving that for Ecclesiastes chapter nine, but <laughs> we, the way that I want to share my experience of the book, and hopefully this is um, an encouragement for our listeners to, to come along on this journey as we, as we reframe our lives on this earth. And, and the way that I want to frame my experience is, is like this. I saw, I saw a painting. Um, I was exposed to a painting by a painter by the name of Edward Hopper. And he wrote a, a he, he, he painted this picture of um, this miner who's in his front yard. If you can picture this, it's, it's like a, it's a flat sort of drab Pennsylvania coal mining town um, back quite a few decades, I think, based on the clothing of the, of the miner. And he's outside and, and most of the town is, is, is dark. You can kind of see how there's sort of these cookie cutter manufacturing town houses one after another. And the guy's standing there, he's just this normal worker and he's got this rake in his hand. And so it's just this very mundane um, picture, except for one thing. You look at the guy and you can't see his face because he's facing the other direction. And, and what you see is all of a sudden these, these rays of sunlight come and uh, they're hitting his face and he's standing there absolutely transfixed by the beauty of the sun. And it's just that, it, it, it's a beauty, it, it, to me the painting was transfixing because so much of our lives is, is hard and dark and we're in this Pennsylvania coal mining town. But this book of Ecclesiastes to me has been like staring at the sun and I've been transfixed by it. It's, it's taken the, the normalcy of my life and it's, and it's broken in celestial light. Like it's, it's, it, it's moving so that you're in, when you're in your life, the way it is, that's what's so powerful about Ecclesiastes. He's talking about the way that life really is, not, not a dream state, not the, which, the way that you wish life was, but the way that it actually is. Sometimes you're alone and you don't have the relationships that you want. And you're hurting because somebody was just a jerk to you. And you go, wow, 
God is here and it's powerful. It, it is powerful. And, and that's where Ecclesiastes really helps us. It does picture life the way it is. And look, I, I do think like what we're saying, our big point here is that what Ecclesiastes moves into, it, we'll talk about this later, like this is a costly kind of joy. This is, this is an odd kind of joy. This is a real um, ordinary daily kind of, kind of joy. And a lot of people, Christians in the past, interpreters in the past, and even modern ones, they get this book wrong. And let's see if we can get people to agree with what we're saying here, Jonathan. But, um, and, and they get this wrong in two very common ways very common ways. Jerome is emblematic of, of one where life was so dreary. Life was so dreary. The world was, was such a dying place to Jerome that he, he decided to withdraw into monasteries. And the way that he read this book, there's even a Latin phrase that came out of Jerome called contemptus mundi, that th this, this, place is, this place is a real hellhole and I just can't wait to get to heaven. And there's, there's actually, there's actually, yeah, so you, you, you have contempt for the world. That's what that yeah. Latin phrase means. Yeah. Um, what's that? What's that hymn that we sing sometimes? I always, it always kinds of cr cracks me up. What um, is the world to me or something like that? Yeah, oh, it's, it's, we're in dangerous, fun. we're in dangerous lands here. Yeah. It's such a funny, it's such like, it's, there's some Lutheran hymns that are just so down in the world that, um, just get me out of here, Jesus. This is this is a this is a really hard place, and it's a total rejection of God's good creation. And on the other hand, and this is where a lot of modern scholarship is goes, is that um, instead of rejecting the world, th there's a full move into the world because there is no God. And and the way that modern scholarship gets there is they eliminate Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And if you're familiar with that chapter, um, that's where we get a lot of the God stuff. God's not absent before that by any means. But if you can remove chapter 12 from the book, all of a sudden the book of Ecclesiastes becomes almost nihilistic. Like it's, it's like there is nothing else. It, it, we're all going to die. One, we're, we're like cattle. There's no resurrection, nothing like that. So just embrace the world in all its fullness because there's nothing else so yes these are two like interpretive extremes and ways of life that people live in yeah so you have you have these tensions between uh, what i would say in indulging the world in, in the earthly life as if that's all there is and denying the word earthly life as if god didn't make us on this earth that is if he didn't make us a part of his his good creation and i think um there's there's always been what i'll call this like pietistic uh, sort of missionary jerome like impulse in christians um where you just it life here can feel so so dirty so um so muddy it can feel so unworthy that we just we just want to we just want to be we just want to be done with it all. It it feels too mundane for us, and yet we have this book that places us firmly into it. And I and I I want to 
I want to, we're going to have to explore this thought on a deeper, deeper level. But what, what, what the writer does here is he, he combines the mundane and the earthly with the holy. He puts them together so that our lives are fused here on earth so that we're not trying to get, get in a hot air balloon spiritually and get out of this place. Instead, he roots us here. And by the way, that is a very Christ-centered thing to do. Christ is, is the one who came down here um, and wedded the heavenly to the earthly, um, the, the holy to us. And, and finally, that's what resurrection is, is going to be, too. But I'm, I'm kind of stealing from one of the points we're doing later. Yeah, you're so right. Like it got what what's happening here and what we're trying what we're trying to do as we interpret this book is is bring polar opposites together in a kind of paradoxical way. And the the book of Ecclesiastes is going to do that all the time. And as Lutherans, we're super comfortable with, with these kind of paradoxical things. Like the, the, the preacher, Kohelet, is, he's known in the Hebrew, Kohelet, he, he's going to say life's unfair, <laughs> but be fair. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he, he's going to say wisdom is futile, it, but, but be wise. Be wise. Yeah. yeah. He's going to say knowledge is empty, but read my book. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> There's all kinds of tensions, like deep, deep tensions. People have felt these tensions in the book throughout history. And there's all kinds of like interpretive techniques. Like so, one of them is people will throw quotation marks around some of the more offensive or absurd things that Solomon says, like, oh, maybe Solomon, like as if to say, Solomon's just quoting an author that he disagrees with. And, um, because they feel so uncomfortable with these these polarizing kind of comments that 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 Solomon's um, trying to get at, like or or another interpretive strategy is to be like, oh, he's he's being sarcastic there. Like <laughs> you can cut the sar. And what we're going to be saying through here is that no, get real comfortable with him saying things that seem seem paradoxical get am i am i saying that right jonathan life is complicated and it has many different reality has many different facets to it so uh let let's just do a biblical example of this just just to show this like how just a very bald biblical example this is this is from proverbs i made a note of this so i'm just going to read it to you and our listeners this is a very famous one by the way just the, the paradoxical, um, sometimes contradictory way that the Bible speaks. So this is Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. Listen to this. This I always get a kick out of this one. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you, will, or you yourself will be just like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. So, you know, Solomon, which one is it? You know, which one is it? Should I answer the fool or should I not answer the fool? Which one is it? And the answer is it's both. Life is complicated. Sometimes one applies and sometimes the other applies. And what we have to do in life is we have to, um, with God's spirit, um, try to move into God's will as, as we think about these things. Now, one, one thing that I will say that 
that I think is helpful as we start um, moving into interpreting the book is that there's two frames that, you know, to use our metaphor, Timothy, there's two major frames that that Kohelet or the preacher is going to use. There's his under the sun frame, which is he's making purely human observations. He's just saying, as if God doesn't exist, as if I don't have any other um, prophetic information from the rest of the Holy Scriptures, as if none of that exists. This is just what I see. This is just what I see as a human being. I'm just observing right now. So there's that frame. Like sometimes they'll say, this is just what I see. And so it's very bald. It can be very um, offensive to people sometimes, but it's stimulating always. Um, and then there's and then there's what I'll call his cosmic frame. Like he'll he'll bust out of that, and then all of a sudden you're you're standing there like the like the Pennsylvania coal miner on his front lawn, and you just go, wow, there's God, and he's and he's burst out of this like earthly like locked frame where you don't see God and you don't understand spirituality. There it is, and I'm just transfixed by exactly what a big deal this teaching is from the preacher. We're going we're gonna to talk a lot about that eminent frame and that transcendent frame, I think, later on. But I, just, I guess I just wanted to make this comment. It's October, and when it's October, I got the Reformation on the brain. And it is not an overstatement to say that Lutheran reformers, Martin Luther, Brents, um, these guys actually were they were the first ones not only to return the gospel to us, but also a right understanding of the book of Ecclesiastes. They like, got Ecclesiastes yeah, back to us. hundred yeah. percent. Like Ecclesiastes just got trashed. And then the Luther's got an incredible commentary. I've been reading along with it on, on the book of Ecclesiastes. If you're listening, that is, it's an amazing commentary if you can pick it up. But what the, what the Lutheran reformers did is they helped us understand, like, um, they gave us back our lives, you know, where, where Jerome's like, let's just die as quick as we can and get to heaven. The Lutheran reformers are like, no. And Luther puts babies back into our arms. He, he lets us embrace our wives. He lets us drink a, a, a glass of beer, if that's, what, if that's what you like doing. Like, it's, it's this whole thing. And one of the one of their chief insights here is that the Havel, which is the Hebrew word for for vanity or breath, is 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 under is understood differently, or it's misunderstood by like a guy like Jerome, who's like, what 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 the preacher is saying with this vanity is that the cosmology, the whole world is trash, it's it's been ruined, and and so we can't even enjoy it anymore. And and Luther is like, no, what's trashed is our is 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 our nature, our our anthropology. It's it's the human being that is full of sin. And even the sinful human being, though, because of Christ's redemption, can still enjoy God's good creation. Is this making sense? This so is a, the reformer. This is a very this is big deal. Very this is big huge. deal. Yeah, it's have all have all this breath. It's just to put a little more. We're we're gonna have to do this a lot more when we do chapter one of the book. But Hevel is the predominant, you know, the the most important metaphor in the whole book. 
and 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 it is a metaphor unfortunately it it's um it's turned into an abstraction in the um the NIV translation and some of the other translations too so where the hebrew word is actually breath um the translation will say meaningless and which is just so they they've tried to to translate the word and, and give it it, it loses the metaphor and that's unfortunate but it's the most important thing and that's exactly right the we the book still affirms it 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 says look everybody's there's nobody righteous not even one the book says but it still affirms god's created order it still affirms um the skies and the earth and and living in it and that this 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 is this hevel this breath it pushes us, you know, when we're thinking about why should you come along for this journey? Not only does it affirm your created life right now in a massive way, um, but it also pushes us to think about what we call eschatology or, or the end of all things. So, you know, Timothy, you were just talking about the affirmation, like our daily life, babies, our, our wives in arms, these, you know, working in the world, those kinds of things. But it also pushes us to put that inside of um, God's um, cosmic order, God's cosmic plan. It, it's, it, it's in fact the driving theme of the book. It's not, um, it's not just in what we would call an imminent frame or like a city with a dome on top as some of the philosophers will talk about, but, but actually it's God over everything. In fact, the le this is, let me just read this and we'll, we'll go through it later, but this is the last the last um, verse in the entire book. You ready for it? For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So everything, everything, every. So this, the, the, I, I think this is so exciting. We're going to have to talk about the tensions with this as well as the podcast um, develops. But what's exciting about this is that um, the the preacher is saying that our entire lives cosmically matter. Every, every little thing cosmically matter. God cares to examine it and to judge it. Everything, it's not that everything's breath, but rather it pushes it into this eschatological, this final frame. Everything matters. God's looking at it. He cares about it very, very deeply. Incredible teaching. Incredible thing to think about. Incredible, incredible. So what we're saying, just to wrap up this, this was a big, long point. I think we've done 20 minutes on this point. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> but we're affirming joy. And, and Ecclesiastes does too. We'll see that in the Carpe Diem passages and thing like, things like that as the book unravels. We're, but it's not a cheap joy. It's, it's not the kind of joy that you get from having a drink or um, something from sex or, or like affirmation from a human being. It affirms joy, but not a cheap one. So I'm, I'm kind of doing, I'm stealing a little bit from Dietrich Bonhoeffer here from where he used to talk about um, grace, but not a cheap grace. And in, in, in his his concern there was that we would abuse grace. And so we want to in, move into that uh, costly joy, that real joy, that deep joy. 
So I got some, I've made a list, Timothy, and I want to pile on, and then we're going to go to our next point. Here's, here's what's going to be reframed. I've got some affirmations for you. It, it, this book affirms the creation, but it rips away the idolization of it. It affirms the human experience, but it rips away humanism. It affirms earthly living, but insists there is so much more. It affirms your moment, this moment, but it places it in the context of God's overarching plan. So we're, I, I mean, we're going to talk about all this stuff, but man, this is, it, it hands us life, our, 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 our lives back so that we're like that. I think we're like that coal miner that's looking up going, wow, this is so much more than I thought. My life is so much more than I thought. Yeah, and I I never want to overpromise, but if if we can get this point and this one big long point of not cheap joy, but but deep joy, ordinary joy, it th this is going to touch on every aspect of your life, and it's going to help you to see things and reframe things in a, in a totally different way. So that that's going to be the first reason why we hope that you come along for this journey. It's not the only one. And we, we want to also put this book, as we're introducing it today, into the biblical canon and even compare it with other kinds of literature and even other kinds of, of wisdom literature. And I guess I want to invite everyone to think about the book of Ecclesiastes. And I shared this with my church a couple weeks back, that I want to invite everyone to think about this book as a settled kind of wisdom, as a back porch kind of wisdom. It's, it's like um, Jordan Davis's um, recent hit song called By Dirt, where there's this, this guy going on 80 and he's sitting on his back porch and he asks the young man sitting next to him, um, what have you been up to lately? And the young man says, chasing a dollar. And then, and then the old man just kind of comes out with it without even being asked, well, if you're going to chase a dollar, let me give you two cents, which is kind of ironic. He's like, I'll, I'll give good. you two. You're, you're 98 more cents. You don't have two dollars. But <laughs> it's good. That's good. And it, yeah, it's good. It's good. And, and then he says, um, you know, let your knee hit the ground, throw a little money at, in the plate at church, um, do what you love and call it work. Like this is, this is kind of that settled, experienced, like wisdom where you've done everything else you've made the mistakes you have the guilt and you're looking back at it all and you're trying to share this with somebody else this is how i view um really the book of ecclesiastes it's a settled settled kind of wisdom i'm glad that you ended up liking that song because i texted it to you and you were like what are, and i said something like this is this is ecclesiastes and you're like what <laughs> but you get it now you get it it's sometimes i'm a little dense you know like <laughs> you got you got you got to explain it to me but i i do think this is how i'm this is how i see ecclesiastes fitting into the biblical canon um i i see ecclesiastes falling in after song of songs and and the reason being is because this is guy this is a guy who's clearly done all the building projects He's gone on his sexual es escapades. 
this is this is a guy who's tried everything and found it wanting. Um, he's he's even says this is a little bit embarrassing. Maybe he doesn't say it from personal experience, but he says this is Ecclesiastes twelve. Desire no longer sir, stirred. So he's at least understanding old age, if not like making an embarrassing comment about you know. Or I guess we don't have to go there. <laughs> but we'll get to um, Ecclesiastes twelve when we get there. The, the point is like this isn't Song of Songs. Like he's not his blood's not running hot. It's it's not Proverbs where he's 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 trying to teach his young sons. Uh, and, and daughter something this is this is um this is ecclesiastes I, I will mention that other people see it differently like origin one of the church fathers thought that ecclesiastes really prepared the way for song of songs in in this sense that ecclesiastes makes you despair of the world and then and then song of songs it's like jesus opening up his arms and say come here you know i'm all there is <laughs> um some liberal scholars kind of see it working that way too where ecclesiastes um is for the establishment it's for the conservative order and you know there's i think you you can you'll see that throughout the book that this isn't revolutionary by any means um, by the way, this is the king, and the king doesn't want rebellion, does he? And and then Song of Songs, it's like this the full embrace of creation, uh, which would which would then follow. But um, yeah, this I, I I don't quite see it that way, I guess. Yeah, so it, it it thinking you've helped us think about how the book fits into Solomon's writings and what I what I think I can offer there is a, um, another way that this interacts with other forms of wisdom literature that's the genre that we're in right now this is wisdom literature um, Proverbs um, Job um, are going to fit into that you know I, I can cite some other readings in the canon too um, those are ones that are going to be easily supplied right alongside of Ecclesiastes. So I'm going to just save my comments for that. Um, each one of these books of lit wisdom literature have, have, have a definite purpose and a definite, definite view. And so Proverbs, um, I, I like to think of Proverbs as offering up a very vital moral certitude. Is That's kind of how I think it. Like Proverbs exists in sort of this place where the moral arc of the universe is is still completely intact and so like this morning i, I just wrote this down timothy um, this came up in my morning meditations in my readings um, this is proverbs 28 verse 20 it says a faithful person will be richly blessed but one eager to get rich will not go punished and so you you have um you know faithful people are going to be rich you're richly blessed and and um somebody who's greedy um, is going to end up punished. And so it's a very, um, this is well-established moral arc. And the, the, the only kind of ambiguity in the book is how to apply it. So Proverbs, Proverbs says, this is the way it is. This is, this is, this is how morality works and moral universe. And um, then we have the job of, of thinking out how do, we, how do we live in line with these principles and with these laws that God has put, in, put into the world. And and that's wonderful. It's a faithful. It's good. Good book. 
Um, but then that, you, what you have to do is we have to then put that into um, a theological conversation. Um, and the Holy Spirit asks us to do this because he gives us these different wisdom books. And so then you have Job come along and we did a podcast on this and, and it's, it's um, I think, not to be self-promotional, I apologize, but you check it out. <laughs> I like, I really liked that season. <laughs> I thought it was fun. It was, it yeah. was, it was enriching for me for sure. And you have Job there and Job is, uh, Timothy, your language, it wasn't mine. Your language was used to call Job the proverbial man. We were doing this on the podcast, like, wow, that's really good. He's a good man. He was a, he's a moral man. He was a fe feared God, shunned evil. You have that fourfold characterization of Job right away in verse one of the book. Well, all of a sudden, Job doesn't get blessed. And so he, uh, the moral arc is broken. And so you find out Job comes along and says, wait a minute, Proverbs, it doesn't always work like that in a fallen world. Um, you there is such a thing as in innocent suffering. Um, and so then you, so you have Job and, and, and Proverbs in this theological conversation, they nuance each other. Um, and then Ecclesiastes come along. And uh, th this is how I view it, Timothy, is you, you have Job and, and Proverbs having this theological conversation, and it helps us nuance our view of, of our lives here. And then Ecclesiastes seems to be an outworking of both. Uh, Solomon seems to come along and say, in view of this broken moral arc, that doesn't always work. So we're not in Proverbs anymore. How do we live? How do we actually do this? In view, it, it's, so how do we, so, so the Proverbs, I think this is important as we interpret here in Ecclesiastes, the Proverbs sit inside a little bit of a different moral story than they do in, in the book of Proverbs. So here they, they, they sit inside of what, what I'll call um, a moral story that's east of Eden, you know, like it's, it's not in the garden anymore. It doesn't, not everything works exactly the way it should. And so, like you say, Timothy, there's this settled, there's this settled wisdom that, that we live in as we notice that the world is fallen and it is broken. There's certain ways that we want to think and behave in this world. But at the same time, it does not lose the hope of this, this certain judgment that's to come. So there's always this cosmic perspective um, to the book. Yeah, that, and thank you for that. That's an, just to put, it, it's helpful. It's, it, it's helpful. It gives us momentum for understanding the book of Ecclesiastes when we put it into conversation with other wisdom books. And, and of course, I think our English canon, um, the, the way that Christians have put together the Jewish canon makes us go that way. I'll just point out this, that the Jewish canon puts the book of Ecclesiastes in conversation with a different group of books. It's called the Megalote. And do you know that this, uh, should I put you on the spot, Jonathan? When is, when is Ecclesiastes read? In the, the Jewish feast of canon? trumpets or something like that? Tabernacles. Tabernacles. Yeah, it's okay. so interesting. So, so this is when this is when you move outside into the tents, like you're tenting, and, and it's just such an appropriate book to read. Right. So right. this is this is a book that's read at the one of the major festivals, um, celebrated by the people of God, and it 
that is such an interesting I, I don't know if we have time to do that tonight but we're talking we're talking esther and song of songs and some of these other books that um would would want something to say about ecclesiastes as well I, i'll also say this that that ecclesiastes as a book it, it is wisdom literature i'd say that but within ecclesiastes there's all kinds of different genres i mean i made a list of them um i actually I stole it from from one of the books i'm reading there's autobiographical in the book there's proverbs there's rhetorical questions there's poems there's quotations there's prohibitions there's commands there's woes there's oracles there's example stories this thing will it and it, it'll like it'll turn a corner and you're like whoa now we're doing proverbs um then we'll get an example story and then you're going to get a prohibition command like woes blessings the the whole thing um is it, it just never stops coming at you beautiful it's a it's challenging it's it's provoking like i love the autobiographical narrative like he just says i want to tell you what i did (laughs) what what i experienced when i did it and he has these scintillating observations about life just what did you just say (laughs) it's it and and like you say it's just this roller coaster ride where he's just moving into you and he's moving into you and he's we got to talk more about that but yeah yeah Let's get to our third reason. Yeah, so the third reason. Here we go. Here we go. Take a deep breath. <gasps> We're getting there. We're getting there, buddy. So the third reason is this. And this is maybe one of the best reasons to read practical or wisdom literature is that it, it gives you very practical counsel. It attends to very daily and practical matters with the word of God. And I'll just give you a couple of examples. I, I just preached a sermon on this book last week on injustice. How practical is that? Like there's an extended meditation about how to respond to injustice in, in the book of Ecclesiastes. Where else are you going to find that in the Bible? Or this, this I'm working on another sermon this week, and this just kind of dawned on me. Like, whoa, this is the only book of the Bible that will actually tell you how to eat. I'm serious. (laughs) You think about that, like he's going to tell you what you're supposed to be thinking and how your heart's supposed to be, how it can be, how we're invited to be when you put a morsel of food in your mouth. I mean, come on. How, how much more practical how practical can you get yeah and people look i people the, the church has had a love-hate relationship with wisdom literature it's um people like, there's not enough sin in there there's not enough grace there's not enough jesus there's not this isn't romans this isn't ephesians and i love those books don't get me wrong but wisdom literature has its place and and if you'd permit me for just a second um the lectionary almost entirely if you're not familiar with the lectionary google it um the lectionary almost entirely um relegates this book to the trash heap it's upsetting to me do you it doesn't doesn't think it's worth reading right i looked this up this this is a little bit if it wasn't if i wasn't so serious i'd laugh about it do you know when when's there's two occasions that we read from Ecclesiastes over three years. Do you know when the, the, the first one is? 
This is so interesting. Oh, it's probably going to be when nobody's in church. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is on New Easter, Year's, isn't it? No, New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. Oh, so right. It's not even... chapter three. Right, right. There's a time for everything. Right, right. So it almost trivializes the whole thing. All right, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> well, I'm there done. is there, there is something that I think we all have to check ourselves with, which is you, we can have our own, what we, this is a technical term, but we can have our own anti-legumina in the church, which is we say that it's canonical or have a canon within the canon, basically. So like people have a hymnal within the hymnal, we only sing these hymns. And then you have a canon within the canon so that you have, I mean, it's just something we have to think about. Like, um, are, do we do we really consider everything canonical? And if it is canonical, what what calling does it have on our own personal meditations and then the public life of the church? And the, the what we've all said, I mean, Timothy, you and I have taken an oath to say that, that this is canonical. It's something that publicly we're going to preach and that we're going to teach. And so we do have a calling to do this. So um, not to rant on that, that, <laughs> that too much, but it, I, think, I think that we're on to something here when we say that Ecclesiastes does get beat up. It does get beat in, in the modern. Now, this is interesting because historically that's not true. Um, his, and, and, and even in other parts of the world right now, that is not true. But I think in our, you know, I'll call it Western late modern Christianity, Ecclesiastes is not a particularly respected book. You're not going to hear people preaching on it and teaching on it. And can correct me if I'm wrong, maybe, you know, um, you, you've had a lot of time in parishes with Ecclesiastes, and, and I'll, I'll be the first to apologize and say that I'm wrong. Um, but my guess is it's, it's kind of been marginalized in the, in the life of the church. Um, you do see this in the scholarship too. The scholarship will come along and that, and what they'll do is they'll openly, this is amazing to me, but they'll just openly disagree with, with Solomon. They'll just say, they'll say he's wrong. Even very conservative, um, evangelical scholars. I'll just, my jaw will go on the floor because they'll say, you know, he was just wrong. He was just flat out wrong. He disagrees with the rest of the Bible. And they just haven't, they haven't done enough work to, to see how, um, this book really is in line with the rest of the scripture and they haven't, they haven't thought that out. Yeah. We've been, we've talked about Luther a little bit. He actually agreed that even in his day, the book was tremendously marginalized. And this is a quote straight from him. He said, on many counts, um, this book deserves to be in everyone's hands. So this, this actually became uh, Luther did almost entirely 180 on this book where it, early in his ministry he thought this garbage this is this like straw but then he came to see like whoa this is we need this book in the life of the church in my own life and he he really went on to fully fully embrace it then so that yeah this is practical wisdom um, literature and we just kind of noted that wisdom literature is largely marginalized and i guess we're kind of asking the question well maybe that's not such a good idea is that kind of what we're well, saying one last one last comment on this like it, it i alluded to this before but in 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 global christianity ecclesiastes is is a beloved book 
I think part of the reason why it gets marginalized today, and I, and I think this may less and less so be the case, but it doesn't speak to late modern, the late modern condition, the way that we at least think of ourselves, the, the transience of life, the, the corruption in government, the, um, the self-deception that can happen. All of these themes um, don't feel like themes that late modern people like, oh, I'm not that transient, I'm gonna live 80 years. But um, people in another part of the globe will realize like my life really is a breath and I need to know what to do about that. And this is a book that speaks into that very real human condition. Yeah, so, so far, just if we can, we've laid down a little bit of a roadmap of where we've come so far. We've, we've wanted to, we're reframing um, our lives with Ecclesiastes. We're moving into a costly kind of joy, a deep joy. We, um, that's what Ecclesiastes is doing for us spiritually. We put Ecclesiastes into conversation with the rest of the canon, with wisdom literature. And now we've said that it does give practical wisdom, even, even if it doesn't have deep doctrine, although we might, we might disagree and, and say, you know, even it does have a, a whole lot of doctrinal content in there. Now let's just talk briefly about the structure of the book. Like what can we expect when, when it comes to the structure of the book, how does this book read? Well, it, this is my meditation on it. The, the, this drives the scholars nuts. And you know, like it drives yeah. the scholars nuts. Everybody's like, it doesn't, there's no, you, you can't outline it. And everybody who's attempted to outline it, they realize that everybody else disagrees with them. So there's no, it, it doesn't seem like there's a coherent structure to it. And yet, <laughs> so what, my, this is my meditation on it. It's, to me, it's, it's structured almost like a human life. It doesn't quite go on a, in a straight line, but there's themes and there's motifs and it, and it does end in one place. So you, have a, the, the, you do have structurally, you do have a prologue to the book and, and you do have an epilogue to the book. And everybody agrees on that. But then everything in between, people have questions. But what you can see are these driving themes. We're going to look at the carpe diem passages that just um, seem to lay this groundwork, this, these mountain peaks in the, in the book. And, and the way that um, he, he asks questions and then he answers the questions. And you can kind of see some overall motifs that, that he's dealing with. And and even though there's some twists and turns, and and to me it mimics the way that that life, our lives are. They do, in the end, become coherent in the hand of God. But as they go along, there's twists and turns, and there's unanticipated things that come up and sort of hit you in the face. So, one one scholar put it really memorably to me, and he or she said. Um, that the book of Ecclesiastes structurally or like the form of it is like an octopus. <laughs> and the interpreter tries to put her, her arms around the book and you, you get like, how many, how many legs do oct octopi have? Do you say octopi? No, I'm really confused. 
Well, isn't it eight? Isn't that 12 or eight or something? (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) But you try to pull in that last leg and then there's one still sticking out and you're like, oh, shoot. (laughs) Just when you think you got your, the octopus, um, the tentacles are just, there's one still hanging out there. And that's kind of the book of of Ecclesiastes. It just refuses to be pinned down. And, um, you know, frankly, it makes people uncomfortable. Well, yeah, right. You, you, you have this, um, mm, mm. the language, the language in, in the book of Ecclesiastes is, is, um, it's, it's hard. It's hard to pin down. There's, there's, there's parable, there's, um, poetics, there's narratives and, and, and we do have to think them out. I, um, I had so much I want. I wanted more to say, but I know we. I know we got to wrap it up. How do you want to do this, Timothy? Do you want to kind of wrap it up now? We're coming up about the top of the hour here. How how are we doing? I think I think let's just finish up our points a little bit quicker than we thought. How about that? So he poetry. Ready? I'm going to do it. I, on Monday morning, I was reading. Yezu Joy of, of Man's Desiring, which is a, it's a, it's a beautiful poetry. And um, it, poetry has a way of speaking to you and opening a door into reality that you'd never seen before. And one of the lines, Yezu Joy of Man's Desiring, the, it's a beautiful Bach piece. Check it out on Spotify or your favorite. It's really beautiful. And the, the translation there of the German is Jesus is my comfort and he's my strength and he is my sap. Hmm. And when I, when I read that, it was, um, it hit me. And part of it's because my, my verse that my pastor read over me from when I promised my life to Christ was um, John 15, verse 5. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And then there it is. On a Monday morning, I'm reading this poetry and Jesus is my sap. And it just made me think. And the reason why I bring that up is because the nature of the writing in Ecclesiastes is poetic. And that does frustrate people sometimes. But I'm, I guess I'm saying I I, I wish it wouldn't. <laughs> it is so powerful the way that um, the Holy Spirit can use poetry to open a window into reality to reconfigure it for us so that we can see things the way that they really are. It's powerful. The other thing that I, I want to I close, I think this is also really important. I'm trying to be fast here, Timothy. <laughs> this book asks questions that are difficult. It does not shy away from that. And that's part of the nature of the language. It poses questions and it poses problems that it doesn't always immediately answer. And so what it teaches us is that God is okay with the questions. So when you, you know, when we're hurting and we have these questions and we, it it doesn't always have to, God is going to move into that with us. And we can kind of notice that even in the very nature of the language, 
that Solomon allows some of these things to just hang there in a poetic question or a poetic image. And he asks us to consider it, even though it doesn't quite get, you know, buttoned up in some kind of nice, tight little abstract phrase. So um, I, I, think, I think we probably should leave it there. And thank, thanks for being here. I got bad news. My wife came in with this, Amanda came in with this note. Can you read that? Chat disabled. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, sorry, We're everybody. We're so sorry. You know, I, We're going to try better I, next week. We'll I do better next week. I tried so hard. You, the technology, I'm just, I'm just a failure. Somebody is going to email me if you're out there and say, Pastor, let me help you. You look like you need help. We're gonna, I did not mean to disable the chat. I'm, I'm, I think Zoom did that. We didn't want to do this through Zoom, but hopefully next week we'll get that right. But thanks for being on here, everybody. Yeah. Thanks for listening to The Notable Podcast. You can check out our other seasons on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. If you are enjoying this ministry and are so moved to support it, please visit us at www.thenotablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.